Salesmanship as a Way of Life Tape 1, Side 1 Business is important. And the most important part of business is selling. 90% of all businesses fail because they fail to sell enough things. It doesn't have to be this way. It's a myth that market forces dictate a business's fate. The key is to truly live the life of salesmanship. These tapes will help you learn how to tap this potential within yourself. Included with these tapes, you will find a number of learning aids. Please get these out now. The first learning aid is a common necktie. This represents the outward image you must project to truly exceed in sales. Tie the necktie around your neck in a simple half-Windsor using the provided instructions. Tighten the tie as tight as you can. Tighter. You should have trouble breathing now. You'll notice the fabric of the tie, once tightened, cannot be loosened. There's no going back now. Tighter. You should have completely collapsed your windpipe now. Soon, you will be dead. If you are dead, please continue. You have now shed the bonds of your old life and are ready to devote your existence to salesmanship. You're ready to move on to the next learning aid, the majestic elk horns. You'll notice the spike at the base of the horns. Please insert this into your cranium at the point shown on the accompanying diagram. The horns should be rising tall and imposing from your head. You're now ready to begin selling. The final learning aid is the first item you will attempt to sell. This will allow you to learn the steps of proper salesmanship within the guided learning environment of these tapes. The item is a haunted monkey's paw. Grasp it firmly and stride into the street with confidence to find your first customer. Eye contact is vital to proper salesmanship. Stare directly at those that pass you until one of them accidentally makes eye contact with you. This is a sign of a willing customer. So make them aware of your product by thrusting the monkey's paw at them before they can flee. If they do flee, chase them until they collapse from exhaustion or confine themselves inside some domicile. Persistence is key. If you're able to run them to collapse, then your sales pitch may begin. If they enclose themselves beyond your reach, do not despair. Remember, persistence. Find a place in front of the enclosure that allows you to hang yourself by your necktie and wait for them to come back out. You are now ready to make your sales pitch. First, explain to your customer the many advantages of the product. You can explain how the monkey's paw will always return to its owner 
no matter how hard you try to escape it. Note how its interesting aroma will attract a swarm of flies to do your bidding. Explain its reasonably priced long-term warranty plan. Your customer should now be ready to buy. Negotiate a fair price, but be flexible within your acceptable range. A gallon of child's blood too high for this customer? Ask for three raven skulls and an oath of fealty. This exercise has given you a taste of the life of salesmanship. In the next tape, we will discuss advanced salesman tactics, including building your brand by leaving slaughtered cattle in the homes of key demographics. We'll also discuss the many general strategies for expanding your business through offering franchise opportunities, using your included franchise hatchet. Remember, the life of salesmanship isn't something you choose. It chooses you. Please continue to side two of these tapes, where you will continue to learn salesmanship as a way of life. Brought to you by the Post Culture Podcast. Excerpts from my Nightmare Journal I've been abandoned, left adrift in a vast, dark sea. The skyline around me is slowly filling with clouds. My muscles ache with the continuous effort to keep myself afloat. As the storms around me build, the water begins to undulate, rising and dropping my body like an insignificant fleck of detritus. Frantically, I search the sea around me for something, anything that could save me from the sinking into the ceaseless oblivion. But from horizon to horizon, there is nothing but the uncaring void of the ocean, crowned by the ever more threatening storm clouds, rising into the sky like vast fortresses of the damned. My muscles burn, and the growing crescendos of water begin to submerge me. My time is short, and I am helpless. Then, a new terror. My legs feel the passing wake of some vast creature. Its body turns the currents, and I know I am not in the presence of a mere predator or a hungry animal but rather some dark god of the sea. 
a force of nature as terrifying in its power as the growing storm. The Leviathan. My mind, already swamped with fear, now grasps into fevered prayers that I drown before I am devoured. The water swells around me and I know the vast body of the beast is preparing to rise. With a horrid roar that tears my soul asunder, the serpentine giant rises through the water, a towering embodiment of the fearsome madness of the sea. The storm breaks as if commanded by the creature's bellow, and in a crash of lightning I see its pale head turned down to me, preparing to swallow me whole in my bodily insignificance. In my final moments, my eyes splattered with the rain, my muscles giving up and sinking me below the waves. I think I recognize the serpent's face as the features of a girl I had gone on a couple of dates with and ended up calling five or six times a day until she accused me of stalking her. The last sensation I feel is of my eardrums being shattered as the ungodly cry from the beast descends upon me. Leave me alone, it roars as it rushes towards me. And all is blackness. Enter the funhouse. The first mirror shows you a slightly warped perspective, disproportionate, but yourself. The next will not. The next mirror in the funhouse will show you as you see yourself, good or bad, attractive or unattractive. Many stay here and never leave. The next mirror in the funhouse shows you what you wish you could be. The hollow lie of the last mirror pains you. The next mirror in the funhouse shows you nothing at all. Literal nothing. Not even glass. The emptiness fills you and you run to the next. The next mirror shows you yourself if you are fat. Or if you are fat, then the potential for either humiliates you. The next mirror in the funhouse shows you with bunny ears. It's a little immature, but a welcome respite. The next mirror in the funhouse shows your guilt, all of your guilt, a menagerie of all your sins. To look upon it is madness itself. The next mirror in the funhouse shows your innocence. It is alarmingly similar to the mirror showing nothing. The next mirror in the funhouse distorts your body impulsively. You look upon yourself, but you're convinced the mirror is right. The next mirror in the funhouse shows you everything you want most. It can't make you happy because you cannot accept good things happening. The next mirror in the funhouse shows you a compilation of everyone who influenced you. The faces of your enemies are largest. 
the next mirror in the funhouse shows your death. It's boring and meaningless and lonely. You no longer fear death. Life terrifies you. The next mirror in the funhouse shows you from behind. It is here that terror finally overwhelms your sanity. The last mirror in the funhouse is simply a mirror. You won't leave because you expect more. You know truth is coming, but it never does. It's 8.30pm and time to put my daughter to sleep. She needs her sleep. She's been active. She untangled a paradox today, broke down the walls of human prejudice, and made a dog happy. She has talent and unlimited potential. She slaps me in the face and giggles. My daughter lays on my chest and refuses to sleep. She is young, small, compact, a dehydrated human that will grow larger as it absorbs the moisture of time. Maybe sleep will allow her to grow more porous to the absorption of experience, and she will grow overnight. Her clothes will no longer fit, and I will wrap her in old flannel and denim and send her off to meet the world head-on. I like my pink shoes with the sparkles, though, she says, refusing to sleep for the sake of fashion, remaining a dehydrated being. I'm trying to put my daughter to sleep, and she's putting up a fight. Her artistry and cunning are facing off against brute strength and stamina. She engages in a powerful series of kung fu blows to distract from the subtle twists of her legs as she tries to free her lower body and hopefully brace herself for a quick extraction from my clutches. I pat her on the back gently and tighten my grip. She has gained a victory, though, in that she is still awake, and I am further demoralized in my attempt to deprive her of consciousness for an evening. My daughter refuses to sleep. I'm 25, father. This is no longer required, she says. Everyone needs rest, child. I have a husband and a career now. I will soon bear my own children, she says. This all sounds exhausting, daughter. You need to lay down. You have grandchildren now. Put them to sleep. Don't force your choice on me, child. You're still my baby girl. She coos and murmurs on my chest, and I pat her gently. But she refuses to sleep. My other children have woken up and are screaming at the hell of existence is too much, and my daughter will not sleep. My wife has leapt, consumed in flames from the balcony on her way to run errands, and my daughter will not sleep. Our home has been overtaken by spiders, and they will not sleep, nor will my daughter. A UFO has destroyed the local farmer's co-op because the driver fell asleep, a thing my daughter refuses to do. I have died and been resurrected, and she has kept a sleepless vigil. 
I am asleep and my daughter is asleep, and yet somehow, still, my daughter refuses to sleep. The moon looks on and hugs her skin, and she watches it shine and is happy. And now, your horoscopes. Aries. Curl up on your couch and weave a grief cocoon. You know you want to. There are no transformations afterward, though. You just die. Taurus. Knives are dangerous today. You should have at least seven on your person at all times. Gemini. If you find yourself mesmerized by a flame or fire, it's too late, so savor the last moments. Cancer. Drink something. Doesn't matter what, just feed the thing hiding between your lungs. It will say hello on the 30th. Leo. Be cautious with your money today. Didn't those little paper eyes look different yesterday? Virgo. You're having a hard time trusting anyone. Good. You're passing the first test. Only 719 to go. Libra. The grass actually is greener on the other side of the galaxy. I mean, lucky numbers. 1, 7, 999, 0, 42, 0 0.86355. Scorpio. A stranger may steal your heart on the 22nd. He will also probably take your eyes and at least one kidney. Sagittarius. You will spend the rest of this week asleep. The nightmares will probably stop, eventually. Probably. Capricorn. Stay away from water signs, fire signs, air signs, stop signs, caution signs, beware any and all signs until the 15th. Aquarius. You should really get that thing looked at this month. By a doctor. No, really. Pisces. Next week will be the greatest seven days of your life. Literally everything else is downhill from here. Excerpts from my Nightmare Journal I awaken on a tall tower, a single column with a platform too small to be comfortable at its peak, where I stand and look down at the ground below, seemingly miles away. The air is thin and crisp, and I can barely make out the landscape. It seems mostly empty, dry. There is no exit for me, no ladder, no way out to be found. Far below I see movement on the ground right at the limit of what my eyes can discern. Vast crowds, their purpose unknown to me, gather below. The sun beats down without mercy. I have no shelter from it, or the winds that feel at times as if they might push me off. I stare below, desperate 
to be seen, heard, to receive some communication before I am left here to rot away to dust. As I watch, I see the crowds moving, forming patterns, letters. My eyes scan frantically to see the message they are trying to send. Here and there a letter, a word, comes into full form. Eventually, I can see it all. The only person on earth sitting at a vantage to read it. We're sorry. You put forth a good effort, but we decided to go in a different direction. Reads the message. Excerpts from the DVD commentary for Born to Lose, Dying to Win, 1978. Recorded by director Homer Hornbecker for the 2010 Criterion Edition. This opening scene came almost verbatim from a dream I had after my third wife left me for the chimp handler on that show BJ and the Bear. I'd gone out and gotten whacked on Everclear and set fire to a cactus in Joshua Tree National Park. I woke up the next morning and found I'd vomited a perfect pentagram around myself and was handcuffed to a coyote that was wearing a wedding veil, and some Indian fella told me I was the mayor of a local shantytown. I looked him right in the eye, and then there said, Son, I got an idea for a movie. Uh, funny how these things come about. The guy playing the gas station attendant here was our producer's coke dealer. Uh, I only gave him the part because he put a hex on me. A lot of people don't know it, but I tried to include a motif of big f fucking titties in this film. If you look for it, you start to see them everywhere, just jiggling around. You know, feminists get on my ass about this stuff, but really, I'm just showing my appreciation for the female form. Also, sweater meat gives me a boner. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, please, God, oh, Jesus, 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 oh, God damn. I don't remember this scene. That's not too surprising, though. I, I don't remember my fourth wife, five of my kids' names, most of the mid to late 1980s. You see right there where Johnny stabs that guy? Oh, that really happened. I mean, he's really getting stabbed right there. Fake knife got 
mixed up with the real one we used for close-ups, so basically Johnny killed a guy. Since we were shooting without a permit, an accident like that would have shut us down, so I made the crew sign a blood oath, never to speak of it. Had the craft service guys chop the body up, and, uh, and we ate it. few beers, a little salsa. Didn't go down too bad. Problem was, there was like 50 of us. So it wasn't really a lot to go around, you know. I mean, one guy. Uh, that's why we we filmed this second killing you see coming up here. Um, I think it was some local. Let's just say a lot of the death scenes in this film are noted for their uh, versimilitude. We should probably cut this part of the commentary out. What in the world ever had a love as sweet as my love? For nowhere in the world could there be a boy as true as you love. You see that quick little jump cut there? Uh, we had to stop filming when we got into a gang war with local townsfolk because of all the people who went missing after we showed up. It was pretty brutal. I'm pretty sure that's uh, when I lost my left pinky. I don't know, it was left or right one. Either way, some old lady bit it off. Our... Our gaffer ended up uh, beating the chief of police to death with Lank and Dolly track, and I'm pretty sure someone set a church on fire. Anyway, that's why Johnny su goes suddenly from wearing a leather jacket to wearing a decapitated dog's head as a hat. <laughs> Uh, this dream sequence here is an actual dream I had. How the fuck did we film my dreams is what I want to know. The ending here has caused some debate, apparently, but it's pretty simple. We ran out of money, so we just set everything on fire for the insurance so we could flee the country. I just consumed an entire coffee thermos of DMT and was trying to start a knife fight with my own skeleton, so I was pretty much up for any idea the goat I had dressed in a tux and called our executive producer was said was worth trying. I spent a lot of time in Nicaragua after that. Uh, I completed the editing by sending death threats via telegram to my ex-wives and a few key political figures. Uh, one day I woke up in an ancient lava bed with a note stapled to my chest telling me I'd won the Palme d'Or. Go figure. See She-Devils on Wheels. See She-Devils on Wheels. See She-Devils on Wheels with guts as hard as the steel of their hogs. See She-Devils on Wheels riding their men as vicious
vigorously as they ride their motorcycles. See she-devils on wheels in blinding colors. See the authentic initiation ritual never before dared on film. See the female Hellcats ruling their men with tire irons as their instruments of passion. See she-devils on wheels feared by the men they use as lovers. See she-devils on wheels starring Betty Connell, Nancy Lee Noble, Christy Wagner, Rodney Bettel, Pat Poston, she-devils on wheels. She-devils on wheels. Excerpts from my Nightmare Journal. I have been called in to be reprimanded. By whom I cannot say, but I recognize them as an authority. The building is the office I work in, but the halls are impossibly long and I trudge down them with a bone-weary exhaustion, my heart straining, knowing the fate that awaits me. I stumble slightly, for no apparent reason. As I try to right myself, I find my balance is no longer coming naturally. I look back, and at first I think I've lost a shoe, but soon realize my entire foot has fallen off. I want to go back to retrieve it, but I also feel that grim authority growing impatient, each second delayed increasing the eventual force of my reprimand. I try to make do and move forward, but find that one of my hands is detaching itself and falling limply to the carpet. I nearly weep at the loss, but drive forward nonetheless. Each hobbling step disintegrates me further as arms, legs, pieces of torso, genitalia all fall uselessly away. I collapse completely to the floor. I try to drag my head forward with my teeth only to lose them one by one, followed by my tongue and eventually my whole jaw. My eyes fall out and roll forward a few inches, my goal still so far away. A person I recognize as a co-worker walks past, a cup of coffee in one hand. He looks down upon me, a mild disgust in his expression, and settles in on one of my eyes, so we are staring at one another. Looks like someone has a case of the Mondays, he says, and then walks away. A tear rolls down my eyeless face just before I burst into flames. Assorted Thoughts My home is a small shrine to my idiotic obsessions. Man, this country is becoming like 1984. Full of cardboard characters talking stiltedly through the bare vestige of a plot. 
My resume is an island of seaweed covered in trapped sailors screaming madly in the darkness as they fight giant crabs. Fuck everything, says the person with more to lose than they realize. Gonna go call a majestic mountain range, a pig-fucking sack of pedophile shit. Be right back. Sports are for sheep, says the stoned gamer. They just distract you from what's really going on. Give a mouse a cookie and he'll eat your corpse when you die. Stop trying to win favor from Hungry Beast. It's futile. Good cop. I have healed the sight of all who were blind and made life a garden of peace. Bad cop. Murders billions of schoolchildren. Downton Abbey is just fancy pants general hospital for people who have NPR tote bags. My doppelganger was delicious. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Post Culture Podcast. Guvis and Gallant go to hell. Music in this episode was provided by Fourth Shift. You can follow them at Twitter at fourth underscore shift and also at Bandcamp at fourthshift.bandcamp.com where I highly recommend you purchase their new EP. Additional music was provided by Bix Beidebeck, Paul Whiteman, Enrico Caruso, and Henry Null. The piece Mirrors was written by Daniel Ellis and performed by Patty Ellis. You can follow Daniel at C-H-A-P-E-L 3929 at Twitter and Patty at P-A-T-T-I-L-A-N-D at Twitter. Horoscopes were read by Twitter user at Tingly Fingers. That's T-I-N-G-L-Y-F-I-N-G-E-R-S. She's a mythical creator of mostly false horoscopes. And sometimes she knows what's going to happen to you. The audio heard in the background of the DVD commentary piece was the film Angels Hard As They Come. It was followed by a radio spot for the film She Devils on Wheels. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed previous episodes of the podcast. And I hope you enjoy future episodes of the podcast. If you are not around to enjoy future episodes of the podcast due to some form of unfortunate accident or simply nature taking its course, I'll find some way to get them to you.